The plane is now ready for landing. Please remain seated, straighten your seat back and fasten your seat belt. Time to destination is about 10 minutes. Local time is 9 a.m. and outside temperature is 30 degrees Fahrenheit. The captain and all crew members hope that you had a nice flight and wish you a pleasant journey. Thank you to have fly First Refuge Airways and hope to see you again. <laughs> No, we are landing, are landing. <laughs> so don't, don't worry, just keep seated. <laughs> so sorry for the interruption. So today is the, the last time that we will officially uh, talk to you. So just uh, we'll just review a little bit uh, what we try to convey in uh, in our practice, and uh, then since uh, I spoke about the plane, then just to make it clear that uh, the float plane, no, the float plane, it's fine when it's in the air, but when it is landing, if the floats are uh, damaged, then these floats they are hollow. Huh? So, if the floats are have little holes, then water gets inside. Huh? So, when the water gets inside these floats, then the plane will get very unbalanced. And then when the flight is, is, is if you are able to fly again, then it will all go wrong, you know, from one side or the other side. So, imbalance is the side effect of having water in your floats. And if you don't sink, then this is what you are going to get. So what is the uh, what is the parallel here with the practice? Actually, the floats they refer to to the actual experience that we encounter in daily life. And what is that? Of course, we say, we can say this is the outside world, but it's our it uh, it is our. Uh, interaction with the, the world. So somehow we always carry the world within ourselves. So in this case, how are we going to protect ourselves and how are, are we going to, to manage to have a good, uh, well, a good practice? So what we try to convey with the gradual training is that uh, there is an approach to the practice and the approach can always be adapted to where we are in whatever situation we find ourselves. Hmm? This refers to the outside situations, social situations, also the internal situations that we are always having within ourselves. So whether we are peaceful, quiet, agitated, angry, or any kind of situation inside or outside has to be handled uh, how it is. And also with these different approaches and also with these different modes. So uh, there may not need to review in details these formals that uh, we gave to you, but uh, just to say that uh, the mode, mode number one, uh, protecting ourselves, guarding the sense door, uh, it is very important. And also the second mode, just uh, the clear comprehension, is also very fundamental. 
but also it's uh, it conveys a sense of very practical things. Huh? We don't need to be so deep in the practice, but ju we just need to be in the present moment and know what we are doing correctly, and also knowing the what is happening uh, on the mind. And about the bone number three and number four, we have seen also, and then we try to convey to you that if you are not interested to go into deep samadhi from the beginning, it doesn't matter. You can start with insight at the speed you like to, to deal with your meditation, at the depth that you like to go uh, with the meditation. So you can start right away from insight and eventually, if you are interested, you can go to the mode number three and develop a little bit more samadhi. That's fine. Also, there is the possibility for those who are interested to deepen the meditation with samadhi and some kind of a specific meditation subject, just to go straight, like, I mean, with the, the, these previous uh, modes, one and two, to go uh, to straight to the samadhi and then just uh, increase and uh, develop the quality of the mind when, uh, when it is uh, practicing samatha meditation and then later on pass through the mode number four after a deeper uh, uh, practice of the meditation with the samadhi. But it's, it's, it's up to us. Sometimes we can start with number four and then go to number three. Sometimes starting from number three and then go uh, to number four. The practice is something about ourselves. So what we need we have to care. So the purpose of the retreat also was about learning how to shift gears. Because the major problem in, the, in intensive practice is that we think that the, the in intensity and the high quality we are getting in these spe special conditions are the meditation, and then we neglect all the other aspects of our life. So by remembering that uh, what is most difficult in the practice is to be able to shift gears. That means when we are in life, then we know which mode we, we need to adapt at that time. Huh? And then also by knowing how to shift the gears properly, then uh, we can also uh, get to depth to 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 the, we can keep some depth with uh, with our uh, we we can keep some depth by way of continuity of mindfulness. So sometimes also when we have to come back to number one, the mode number one, where we need to just to settle, you know, and then just take a break, and uh, the situation is very challenging. Then we should never think that. Uh, we have fall back or that we are just coming back to square one like a, like a beginner because the practice is a cyclic kind of uh, uh, dynamic so we have to we can start with number one and then two three four and then start again with number one two three four and sometimes we can be with four huh? and then going back to three going back to two 
And uh, whenever we are coming back, either to the beginning or also uh, ending uh, at number four, we will see that these uh, previous uh, modes have been there to support our practice. So I think, I think it is kind of important to remember that uh, we don't need to be always very deep in the meditation, and then there is always a way to adapt the meditation in the situation in which we are. We have seen also how the practice of metta is very useful, so we don't need to be always forcing to be, to, to, to be in metta, huh? but when we are allowing ourselves to be and then just to protect and ourselves and to be at peace, then the metta will come uh, much more by itself. Huh? And then uh, the possibility to develop this uh, practice of uh, Brahma, we, are, we also uh, strengthen our own practice if we are feeling to do it. But sometimes if we don't feel like, a sh- like these types of uh, practices, uh, then it's not absolutely necessary that we practice them you know, for, to a great extent, but just at least to have the general uh, uh, idea of, uh, of, uh, of these brahma is very useful for all our encounters that we have in the life. I think this is a lot of talking, and uh, I think also that you probably have resolved all your questions, and if not, then it's very good, huh? because you still have something to, uh, to, uh, to digest, you still have something also to, to find out, and, and then it, 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 leaves, it, it leaves your life with a, a, a big uh, kind of perspective, because you are still in a mood of, uh, of learning something. So if your questions are not been answered, then it's very good. You can find your own answers. And uh, now I'd like to just to, uh, I didn't know how to finish this thing. And then uh, of course, Shara is going to give us a a wonderful uh, polishing uh, talk. And, uh, but before that, then I would like to to just to quote uh, something. It's from the Sutanipat, the, the, the Sanyutanikaya. Oh, Sanyutanikaya. Uh, like I don't have the number, I just have the number of the page of the Bhikkhu Bodhis translation at page 1348. It's a long story, but it's someone uh, speaking to, to, to the Buddha, and uh, then uh, the person is asking about all kinds of things, you know, and then the Buddha replies to him. If, Edmund, I were, to, I, I were to teach you about the originating and the passing away of suffering with reference to the past, saying it was in the past, perplexity, per, perplexity and uncertainty about that might arise in you. And if I were to teach you about the origin and the passing away of suffering with reference to the future, saying... This will be, in the future, perplexity and uncertainty about that might arise in you. Instead, headman, while I am sitting right here and you are sitting right there, 
I will teach you about the origin and the passing away of suffering. Listen to that and attend closely. I will speak. So, this quotation shows us that uh, that uh, the Buddha's teaching is very practical. We don't need to make it too complicated. Huh? And uh, also, uh, it has to be realized here now. So, what we are doing, how do we uh, handle the present moment, is where we can learn something. So, on these words, uh, well, uh, I just thank you for just to have the uh, to have had the opportunity to uh, to sit with you and then to practice so uh, i will ask uh, shala to please give us a few words of uh, of conclusion Is the volume okay? Okay, thank you. I think it's important to consider what we really want, what we most deeply want. Because that's what we'll be working toward. That's what we'll be moving toward. In insight meditation groups, we don't usually recommend that you have a very specific goal that you set for yourself because it's too easy then to slide into patterns where we grasp after some experience in the future or expect some spiritual gain or compare our development against rather unrealistic timelines. This usually backfires. It backfires through discouragement, through self-judgment and doubt. Yet I think it is possible and important to reflect upon our commitments and our aspirations without fueling insecurity, anger, doubt, envy, or conceit. We can nurture inspiration We can nurture our energy by reflecting on the noble aims, perhaps of awakening from the pattern of ignorance, of purifying the heart of greed and hatred and delusion, of ending the chronic misperception that keeps creating resistance to the simple facts that we know to be true in this life. Or just perhaps the simple aspiration to keep learning to keep growing, to keep improving. The Buddha describes the aim of practice in the Middle Link Discourses with the simile of the heartwood. And this story is of 
this simile refers to a story where somebody who needs heartwood to build something, maybe a table, maybe a chair, maybe a, a, a stairwell, in one way or another they need to get heartwood. But the person doesn't know what heartwood is, and so they go into the forest and they take only the twigs and the leaves. Similarly, another person needs heartwood to build something, goes into the forest and returns just with branches. And then another person does the same, but takes only the bark, and another takes only the soft inner wood. Each person feels pleased with what they have found. They believe that their their purpose has been fulfilled. They praise themselves and disparage others. They become intoxicated with their attainments, and then they grow negligent. But they didn't know the aim, and though they're unaware of it, their purpose is not being fulfilled. There are many valuable experiences that occur in the course of our practice, and the Buddha lists four things that are gained through the course of our practice but should not be mistaken for the goal. And a fifth, which is the noble aim, the heartwood of the path. He considers fame, popularity, prestige, respectability. He considers virtue, concentration, knowledge and vision, knowledge and vision, and finally, the perpetual liberation that does not fall away. The simile of the heartwood invites us to reflect on what is our aim of practice, primarily so that we will not be satisfied with deceptive attainments and stop short of the goal. When we're engaged in a sincere and deep meditative practice, as we all are, we may encounter some very lovely experiences of calmness, of bliss, of luminosity, of joy, some states of concentration or clarity or insight. They're great. We shouldn't complain if they occur. And we certainly don't need to fear them. But they're not the heartwood. The Visuddhimagga lists ten corruptions of insight, things that will naturally arise in the course of meditation, but can become impediments if we become attached to them and mistake them for our goal. They include light or luminosity, knowledge of matter and mind, rapturous happiness, tranquility, bliss and pleasure, resolution, exertion, mindfulness, equanimity, and the last is attachment. The first nine are not necessarily unwholesome states. In fact, they're quite beautiful supports for the development of our practice. But if we become attached to them, if we become attached to any of those, we have missed the point. Not all these experiences will happen for every meditator. But this list represents the kind of positive experiences that can occur 
and can distort our perception of the path if we forget to see these two as impermanent, as unsatisfactory, as conditioned, as not I, as not me, as not mine. Just as the villager goes into the forest looking for heartwood, that villager would be far more successful if she knew what heartwood was. As we explore the depths of the mind, I think we can benefit by having a sense of what we're looking for. What are you seeking? What is your purpose? What are you dedicated to? Are you committed to awakening, to enlightenment, to release, to inner peace, to letting go, to the development of clarity and wisdom and clear seeing, to the cultivation of compassion and kindness, perhaps to the ending of greed and of hatred and of delusion, which is the classic definition of the awakened mind. These are noble goals. Dedication, effort, earnestness will be needed to pursue these goals. The Buddha urged his disciples to abandon defilements of mind as earnestly as a man whose turban was on fire would attempt to extinguish the flames. If we're complacent, we might allow the fires of greed, of hatred, and of delusion to smolder within us. We might not bother to address them until they burst out into flame, causing great suffering for ourselves and others. So effort is needed to maintain the steadiness of our commitments and to do the work that develops wisdom and brings inner peace and calmness. I used the term commitment, commitment to awakening. This term might sound a little strong or forceful or even restrictive to some of you, but I think the emotional tone of our commitment can appear differently at various times in our lives. In the course of my own practice, sometimes this commitment has felt simply like a niggling curiosity, a sense of wanting to understand and know something, an interest that was perked but not satisfied, that kept driving me on to discover something that felt unknown. Sometimes, This commitment felt so urgent that I felt as though I would have given up anything, as though my very life depended upon this practice. And not surprisingly, when the emotional emotional tone was this strong, not surprisingly, when the emotional tone was this strong, I flew off to India on a one-way ticket, left school, left work, left family, left all my worldly responsibilities behind accepted a new name, endured typhoid and dengue fever and jardia and hunger and uncountable discomforts because I just felt like I wasn't going to allow anything to stand in my way. There was a real sense of urgency. And other times it felt 
more loving, more like a deep and loving devotion. I might not even have said I was committed to awakening. I might have said I was devoted to awakening, that I loved the possibility of awakening more than anything else, that I loved liberation with my whole heart and mind, and that I felt this appreciation, this gratitude, this caring for this path. And so I nurtured it within my practice, within my life, the way that we nurture a child that we love. And sometimes this commitment simply feels calm, like a gradual dedication to a very gradual training. For me, the meditator's mascot is the tortoise. The tortoise slowly plods along, and then once in a while, retreats into its shell, and then goes stretches back out into the world and continues on and then retreats and engages and retreats and engages. We endure whatever comes on our path. We don't give up just like the tortoise doesn't stop. Just pauses, retreats, and then engages. So whatever the emotional flavor, whatever the style, we're going to need persistence, we're going to need courage, we're going to need patience and commitment because development takes time. We usually must nurture the conditions for samadhi, the conditions for clarity, the conditions for insight, for a very long time before those conditions come together and ripen. And we could say that we taste the sweetness of the fruit or that we have incubated the eggs and broken out from the shell. As you consider what you're committed to, Please be careful, though, that you're not making a commitment to any institutional form as your ultimate goal, because it would be a mistake to narrow our commitments to institutional or any social structure, such as thinking that you have to now attend longer retreats, or that you have to ordain, or that your practice depended upon an attachment to a particular technique, or identifying with a particular teacher, particular external conditions for practice, or particular communities. There's value for cultivating the virtues of trust, of gratitude, of loyalty, and of discipline. But as we develop our path, our commitments must mature beyond institutional or social structures. Commitment is a movement of our intention. It's a movement of our energy that requires no special customs, no special costumes, and no special associations. It's broader than any specific method. Perhaps we might dedicate ourselves, commit ourselves to something rather profound, like peace, 
like the ending of ignorance, freedom, the ending of craving, the ending of hatred, and then spending our entire lives allowing the meaning of that to unfold. The commitments that we make are powerful. They set a direction. They have an effect. So please reflect. What do you feel committed to? What feels so important to you that you can put your energy behind that direction? For those of you that are staying in retreat for a while longer, and for those of you that are embarking on your practice at home. Consider, what can you dedicate yourself to that will support the progression of your practice? And of all the many things that we've worked with in this precious time that we've practiced together, so many different dimensions of the gradual training, what have you experienced or reflected upon on this retreat or glimpsed or nurtured or understood that sort of comes to the fore in your mind as something that you can take into your practice, that you can create a space for further development, that can support the deepening of your practice, whether in retreats at the forest refuge for some months or weeks longer, or whether you're engaging now in a dynamic practice of life at home, with all the various activities and responsibilities that that entails. What are you committed to? What are you dedicated to? What is the heartwood of your path?
This morning's session concludes the formal teachings of this practice time together. Venerable Ujagara and I will be departing before long, um, and new teachers will be coming in. A little less than a third of you will be staying on for another month or two or three or four of practice. And about two-thirds of you will be departing and going home. I want to mention that so that you remember, those of you that are, you remember that there's a, there's a different needs will be occurring over the course of the next 24 or 48 hours. Those of you that are departing, we've discussed um, some various integration opportunities for you so that you have a chance to speak with each other. They will be posted on the bulletin board if they're not already. Are they already? Okay, great. So you can you can check those out. And we do ask that you be very diligent about uh, restricting any verbal communications to just those particular times and particular locations and respect that just with the highest, give that the highest respect so that the third of you who are continuing your practice for months here can stay in your room or the meditation hall and um, just continue to pursue your practice as fully and as deeply as you can. So we'll conclude with silent time unless you have something more to say, no? Then thank you. And we'll conclude with some meditation together and then we can each depart from the room as we wish when we wish. Thank you, it's been a joy to practice with you. Privilege and a joy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.